Welcome to another episode of the Valley Deep Mountain High podcast. Guys, this will be the final episode in season two, so thank you all for your support so far. I'm joined with my brother Mark again today. After episode eight, I think it was, um, You Want to Live Where, we had a chat in that about staying in a bothy, and it was a bit of a mental experience. From that, I got loads of feedback, people saying they thought it was really funny, and, and never said anywhere else, that's a bit mad, so... We had a chat and we're going to talk about our experiences when we were younger um, of staying at a place uh, called Gary Gill, which is where we used to go underground a lot. And the centre that was that centre in the loosest of terms as well. And uh, and another outbuilding that we used to stay in. So, Mark, what, thanks for joining me again. Yeah, no. It was, a, I think, um, when we've had a chat about this, the when you when you go away anywhere and you camp in a tent, if you spend enough time in your tent, like I said about living in the teepee. Yeah. Like, your little fortress. In a little fortress, yeah. Well, it becomes just that. It becomes, and I joked saying that it's your home away from home. Yeah. But when you're in something that you know a lot, like for argument's sake, you have a caravan, like mm. a static caravan. Yeah. Your goal there will feel like your home away from home. Yeah. If you spend enough time in your tent, your tent almost feels like that, especially when you think it's sheltered from the outside, the warm, you know. Yeah. It's your safe place almost, isn't it? I think when you say the boffer, or certainly this place was an experience. And yeah, yeah. But because it's out of the norm and the different, like the boffies are good. They they can become like you were saying about your story about your know, people turning up in the night while you were there and yeah, that all that forms part of that community and and you know being in the outdoors and that. This center was a little bit like that, but I think it's worthwhile just setting the scene for this place. So there was where we used to go. There was the outdoor center. And like you said, centres in a loosest of terms. It's by no means on level with any of her, like... Yeah, it's not YHA like or... a Youth Hostel Association or Outward Bound or Plassey Brennan or... It, isn't an out, it wasn't an outdoor centre like that. It was like a bunkhouse. It was classed as an outdoor centre purely for the fact that groups would book this place to go and stay and it had amenities. I think that's the only thing why it was classed as a centre. Um, the bunk beds that were in the buildings were like the ones in Step Brothers that have just been made and knocked together. Um... <laughs> You know, or bits found. There was always like four or five vehicles outside that were just sheds, proper bangers, just never working and bits in the way. I remember there being like yeah. an old Fiat Panda there. Yeah, yeah, and like all the all of the furniture in this place, all of it, none of it matched. It was it was all <laughs> stuff that had been found. Like I remember, like in the, what would be like the the group area where there's a big long table where you would obviously like you know have, have food and things like that. The seats were church pews. They were probably lifted from somewhere. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, um, like I said, this centre's more than likely not there anymore. Um, no, I think I think it's still there. Yeah. But I don't, it's not an outdoor centre. I, I think was, it's an Airbnb now. It was, it was massively used at the time by anyone going underground. So um, the area was, low, you know, a lot of them are shut now because they've been t- turned into like tour mines. Uh, all have been closed off because of like scientific interest in history and all that sort of stuff. But at the time of us being sort of, you know, kids... Um, you could go on in underground and go through these mines. They were old lead mines. Um, now the difference between obviously caving and mining. One of them is in caves or potholing. Um, you know they they're dangerous because they can flood and you can get stuck and and stuff like that. But there's nearly always a way in and always a way out. Um, a mine obviously is a man-made structure. Um, old, derelict, rotten, um, can collapse, can have gases. You know they carry a whole different host of. Um, risk involved with them um so obviously we were lucky enough that our our dad was um 
an instructor to be able to take people in disused minds. One of our good friends, Dave, uh, who was friends with Dad, uh, he still is an instructor. So wherever we go, we get to go with him. And it's great because if you're going to go in anywhere underground, like Cave and our mine, it's a very sort of secretive community almost. I, I think as far as outdoor sports go. So outdoor sports tend to be a bit mad anyway. <clears throat> yeah. They also attract people who are way outside of the norm. I know that Jonathan spoke about this on when he come on about um, like mountain bikers and climbers and things. Mm. Their weekend will be spent like anyone who has a hobby doing this this hobby. But because it isn't normal, you you almost seen a bit like an outsider almost in some sense. You know when people. So I know when I go and work, if I've had a weekend off. Yeah. Like, what did you do the weekend? And you're like, oh, you know, I went out or, you know, I stayed in and did it. What did you do? And you're like, I went caving. You're always like, you went what? And it's and it's always a bit like, well, you know, everyone always goes, oh, I'd love to. Yeah, well, I, I, like that, I would or... work, there's a guy, um, there's a guy I work with, Paul, um, mm. Grimshaw, as he's known, um, in, in the intro. Everyone knows Grimshaw because he's, he's a bit out there as well. But <laughs> he's, he's, uh, he loves his, like, you know, all his old sort of like World War II history and all that sort of stuff. He's, he's, a, he's a good guy, really. And, um, Last time he saw us go underground, he was like, I want to come with you. Like, but be gentle, because I'm 52. And I was like, mate, I can take you underground, like, but be mindful that, yeah, like... You're not coming out. <laughs> you're not coming out. Uh, but, yeah, it's, um, you know, it's, 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 it's also going... I mean, a lot of people have been in mines or said, oh, I've been underground, but <clears throat> you've probably gone through a tall mine where you paid to get in and you walk down a well-lit pathway and there's stairs and things. Yeah. We're talking about, like having a way through sort of chest deep water to get in there's a real risk of you know Flood, flooding collapse yeah gases, there'll be there'll be know. ropes used to descend and ascend bits and it's all a bit of a mental place um so obviously having the, this sort of luxury of um you know growing up with that environment with people who know what they're doing is a real privilege i think because yeah. to try and do it as a hobby now as an adult yeah it is quite hard to get well, into that's what i was getting with so like the Outdoor industry is is very welcoming and um, it's very easy to. I well, I think it's. I'm not yeah. you agree. Yeah, yeah. It's very easy to get into these sort of things. So I know that if you wanted to go and say, if you wanted to start mountain biking and you've you've never rode a bike from being a kid, you can buy a bike or rent one, and go and do a course. People, you know, like even road cycling and plus yeah. the Brennan do guided tours through. Sonoma. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, same paddleboarding. You can go buy like a paddleboard and do a course yeah, yeah, yeah. and all you got that all sort of stuff. Caving, like it's just yeah, it's a bit odd, isn't it? Like it's a mad sport anyway, and when you're in that group, you you can appreciate why it's mad. The dangerous places, like you said, and stuff like that. But like I I looked at um like a local caving club um a couple of months back now, and was like Mm -hmm. I'd be interested just to go and do something different, like you know not in a mine or whatever. Um, I thought I wonder how like easy it would be to just. I know we can go and do it, but it was more just for something different. Absolute nightmare. Yeah. Like, you'll go on like this. So lots of places have like a caving club or whatever. You, yeah, universities like and things like that are quite good for stuff like yeah. this. Yeah, so oh. unless you're... In, well, yeah, you yeah. can access it if you're at union things, but other than that, it's a bit like the Masons. <laughs> yeah, you've got to know <laughs> like someone. You have to be... know someone in there. You have to be voted in. You have to do so many hours, you know, with X amount of people with you under supervision before they'll you know, let you go and do, like, more... It's just a bit odd, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, So definitely. I think we were dead lucky when we were younger to have this <clears> place. <throat> well, not only to have the facility to... Uh, like, resources, almost. Like, we had instructors we knew and Dad was one and stuff like that. So we were able to take us all these things. But we also had this place, which... 
in itself was an adventure yeah. just going to. Yeah, yeah. So like we said, it was it was an outdoor centre and it was split over two sites. They had the centre and then this house. Now... You talk about the centre, I'll, I'll talk about the house because the yeah. house is... I've got some key points about the house that like sort of stuck with me. I don't know whether it's because of just the memories or the yeah. scarring. I don't know. No, no, yeah, I'm sure we can... Probably a bit of both. But the, so the centre was, like we say, it wasn't like a youth hostel association or anything like that. You'd go in and... It's in the middle of nowhere, so it was always cold. Even in the summer, it was freezing. It was in like moorlands or somewhere. Proper like that. windy place, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, so you'd get there, and it was like it looked like a farmhouse. And when you walked in, there was like a shed on the outside, which was like the charging station. So it's definitely worth noting now that if you go caving or mining now, the equipment you use is well different. So the old head, the mining headlamps that you would wear, caving headlamps, had like lead acid batteries that took like forever yeah. to charge they weighed a ton they went on like a scaffolding belt around your waist and just I remember as a kid just it was just like this big yeah. heavy lump to carry around as well but they were being charged in the shed outside where you also <laughs> hung your wet water it's just not safe at all just mad yeah yeah um, And but then when you went into the centre it was like because um, it used to be a farm as well so like the it had stone flooring like solid probably worth a fortune now this sort yeah. of stuff but I remember that as you walked in it was like a mountain of footwear so there was like a mountain of old hiking boots and then on the other side a mountain of wellies and it was for when people went if they didn't have appropriate footwear to be going caving or you know, mining um, there was stuff there for that you could use and borrow and then just put it in the, in the drying room which was probably the same room as the charging yeah. room like yeah, yeah. Um, but they were never matched up so if he was like I'm a size 4 you get given <laughs> two, size, shoes, two size 4 boots <laughs> But they were different brands. Like, let's say they have, like, a high-tech on one foot and a scarper on the other, but they both fit. So I just remember being like, oh, every time we went, I was like, I am taking my own. I'm not going to be that kid who's got, like, you know, opposite. Do you know what and makes... all of them had red laces in. You... Yeah. So, so, you just... saw, so you saw that no one nicked them. Yeah. Do you know what makes <laughs> me laugh with this? Like, I've, I've always said that since doing the podcast. It's been ace being able to sit down with, like, yourself and Jonathan and a few other people to have, like, these chats about our youth because the things you kind of, like, you just take for granted because we've grown up doing the same things so you don't really talk about them yeah but and you forget as well I reckon anyone listening to it is you either just don't believe it or it properly sounds like abuse but it weren't it like it was definitely you know, character building though so like our first underground trip we were probably about I, I want to say similar age to like our boys now probably about 7 or 8 yeah I reckon because I remember that everyone, so everyone else had like full waterproofs on and stuff I remember having like a pair of wellies on which were redundant by the time I'd stepped in the water because it come up to my knees um, jeans and like a padded jacket it wasn't even like a waterproof jacket uh, with this massive lead acid battery light strapped to my waist which weighed a ton because I remember like holding dad's hand uh, I was on one side when they were walking through like this flooded mine entrance yeah, you know yeah. definitely scared you know as a child going underground it's, it's, a, it's a daunting thing well scary places yeah so especially like. as the water's getting deeper as you're going in and going don't worry you'll be fine you'll be fine I remember, you might have to swim this bit I yeah. also remember having that having yeah. to swim a bit yeah. I remember looking up at one point and it being like thigh deep on, on dad the water was like chest deep on me and you yeah. so you just kind of like picked us both up by an arm each and carried us through and like these experiences were, were unreal but unprecedented because the accommodation that we were staying in, it wasn't even like you could go home to this nice place it was going like, home to ineffectively what was like uh, it's a little I'd say it's one up from a boffy I, I it was like you're in the builder house 
right? And then before they even put like the plaster or the rendering on the walls, yeah, and it's just a shell. That's what this place was like. Yeah, imagine so, renovating a house now and stripping it back down to brick. Yeah, and then that's, then, that's, then going, you can rent this place if you want. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you, you can bring a group of like young scouts here, or like you know, <laughs> army cadets or whatever, you know, any youth group. You can use this because it's an outdoor centre. And it's safe, right? So I remember going there once, right, and um, you 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 know Paul's stuff, don't you? Mm-hmm. So one of our friends, Paul, uh, grew up doing exactly the same. There's, there's a group of us who are still friends to, to this day who uh, grew up doing all these mad things together. Bond, bonded by trauma. <laughs> exactly, yeah. <laughs> Shared experience. <laughs> but like, I remember Paul wasn't a soft lad. He was arguably, out of all of us, was like, you know... I wouldn't say... Like, when I say the artist, I mean like... I don't mean like... You know, he cut around like cracking heads. Oh, <laughs> like, so I mean, so on this like, one, just before we go any further, so on this one, I've got to get it in here because this story's mental. So on a, a quick little side note and then we'll go back to the thing. So we've grown up together. This this group of lads have grown up together from because our, our our dads were all friends. One year we were we were in the Lake Street camping in Keswick on a camping and caravanning site, so a very posh, quiet campsite on a, on Derwent Water. Oh, I know where you're going. And um, <laughs> yeah, so we were away for like four weeks every 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 summer as kids camping, like Paul's family and, and our family. <clears throat> Me and Paul had a disagreement about something absolutely pathetic. Who was going to bat next? Who, yeah, cricket. who who's going to bat next playing cricket? You know, as you do when you're like twelve years old, and that's the most important thing in your life. Um, and we've been to this point pretty much left to be like pretty feral, really, while we were camping. You could just kind of do Lots what you of want. Lifestyle. And yeah, uh, so me and Paul had a disagreement, which turned into a bit of a shouting match, which then turned into a fight. Now. If you've ever been on a camping caravan site, they're very quiet and very prim and proper, and people go on those campsites because they're quiet. So what they what they don't want on their Sunday afternoon whilst they're enjoying their like you know time away in the summer in in Derwent Water is two twelve year old boys having a fight in the middle of the campsite, and both our dads just kind of stood and watched and was like, just let them, just let them be boys. Like they'll, they'll stop in a minute. This fight went on for ages, didn't it, Mark? I like, remember it being like. Now, as an adult looking back on it, it will have looked like you know on Step Brothers when they fight outside the house. <laughs> it's exactly it's like, like that. people stood there like going, ah, they're killing each other. I remember it was it like... was exactly like that. And I remember because I remember like halfway through this scrap, me and Paul by you know kind of like got off each other and were probably like yeah, trying to get our breath. I remember like looking at looking across <laughs> it like Dad for like I don't know some sort of like gratification that I was doing well, and. Um, Paul did the same and they I remember they specifically got hold of like a watermelon just cut into slices like do you want a bit and this, <laughs> yeah. I remember this woman going are you going to stop them and they were like no I'm not going to stop them We're gonna, they'll learn from this they'll learn yeah. and the only time they stopped it I think is I had all of a cricket wicket and Paul had all of a cricket bat and they were like probably time to stop now before they actually kill each other <laughs> then we just shook hands and we're like let's carry on we'll shop yeah <laughs> shook hands carried on playing cricket then went to the shop and so yeah so Paul was Paul was always out of all of us Paul, Paul was a you know a big lad, and he well, he arguably still is. He does a lot of rugby, and he's a you know a conditioning coach now for rugby teams in New Zealand. So, so he's, he's you know he's a fit, you know, good lad. So Paul went to this outdoor centre with us on one of these experiences. So yeah. go, so go on, Mark. I remember like we we had a room downstairs, one of like I say a dorm room. It was like a group prison cell, like what it felt like. It was yeah. just like it was. Like, he was know, going on top it, bunk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> pretty much. That's what it was like. Yeah. So we'd already had an argument about who was sleeping where and stuff like that in our Arctic sleeping bags because the place had no heating. Yeah. And I remember going out to the car to get something. In fact, that room didn't have a door. It had a shower curtain for a door. <laughs> exactly right. So I remember. Yeah, yeah, it did, didn't it? Yeah. So I remember coming back in carrying something and just hearing loads of shouting and like. Metal banging around and stuff, and thinking, 
oh, Andrew and Paul are fighting again. And then, then they're like, loads of laughing with like, what is going on? I thought, I bet Paul's got them like, they've had an hour he's on the top bed. He's jumped and it's like fell through or something like that. Open this, sh- this shower curtain just like, come bursting open. And there's just feathers everywhere thinking, what, what's happening here? It's like, and then this chicken just come like, licking it out. Yeah, oh, yeah. There, was a, there was a chicken in the centre where it just like, found its way in from, I don't know, outside. Yeah. And then, so that was like one mad thing. It was like, you know, farm animals in a place and stuff. And then, do you know, like now, there's like a, a big thing for like, in the outdoors where you're like, toilets will be twinned with somewhere in like, say Nepal, you know, when you, you fund the toilets we built in oh, the UK, yeah, yeah. the charity yeah. funds, like, and it, that's how the Louvre review thing came about. Now, arguably, I've been to the toilet in some interesting places, right? So uh, it's definitely honest, you'll get, get where I'm coming from. So I've been, been to the toilet, with, been to the toilet, some interesting places with some pretty epic views. So Mount Kenya, the toilets on Mount Kenya had no door, and you just looked out at like the oh, expanse yeah. over yeah, like, the nature reserve. Yeah. You're in an alpine. So going to the toilet there, quite interesting, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And I know you'll agree with me, like long drops. They're, they're an interesting thing on their own. Yeah. So anyone who doesn't know a long drop is basically a hole in the floor with like a shaft beneath it that's just a pit. And in Africa, that's where they went to the toilet, it's in their pit. And you very quickly learnt there to go at night. Yeah, or very early in the morning. If you went very early in the morning, because <laughs> it wasn't hot, so there's no flies. And if you went at night, you couldn't see what insects were in there with you. Yeah. So it was just, that was an experience in itself. But, oh, got it. It was horrible. <laughs> right. But... <laughs> The Lou Review thing, I remember it being a specific, like, I didn't know at the time that, they, you know, obviously, as an adult now, you, people know, will know about life in the outdoor world, because it's a big yeah. thing. But as a kid, I remember going to the bathroom in Middlehouses, the, mm-hmm. the second site to this place, and uh, just to put onto par of how un-five-star this accommodation was, there was no window. <laughs> so, do you remember when oh, we yeah. once? Oh, yeah, God, having, I do remember. It was like... They're having some building work done, so just, just you know, you, you'll be all right, though. You'll be fine. Got there. There was no windows in. Yeah. There was no windows in the whole building. Like, the whole front face of this old, ancient, creepy Victorian house. No windows. So yeah. Good job, it was, I say it's a good job. God, it was yeah, summer. I forgot it was about that. like, minus numbers. Yeah. But, yeah, I remember going to the toilet. There was no, no, no window, but I had this, like, awesome view out of, yeah. you know, over the moorland and stuff there. So that was an experience as well. And then, but, like, going back to, like, the centre, like, the first site... The kitchen there was like something what you would find in. It was an old like it was. It's like the Hills of Eyes kitchen. Yeah, so it was like, jars yeah. just full of bits. So it, <laughs> it definitely was so like it was like an old like yeah. arm or something. Like it, it was an old farmhouse. <laughs> a charity for something. Yeah, this 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 place was an old farmhouse. So anyone who's been in a farm will know that the kitchen, like the the heart of the house, like the center of the yeah yeah place. Oh god, man, what a and place! The, yeah, and the kitchen was but. You'd go in, it had like, anyone who's been to a public school in the UK will know that the pots and pans, it's like these old, ancient, the same sort of pots and pans that people had to donate during the war to be turned into Spitfires and stuff <laughs> yeah, like that. Yeah. This place started all them and they were like, I'm pretty sure prisons have better like cooking equipment than this place. So that was mad. You'd go in, you see all these like, you know, odd sized pans and stuff like that. As a kid, you'd be like, it was huge. But then there was also food there. It was never in date. Yeah. I remember the food always being like, yeah, it was like pasta and, you know, arguably it doesn't go out of date anyway. But they like pasta and stuff. Yeah. Like years out of date. And I remember dad coming through once with this like white plastic thing, probably about a foot long, just this white plastic wrapping. And he like, give me it. And it was, I remember it being there. What's it? Christmas pudding. So there was Christmas pudding log. Like, not even like, you know, bowl pudding shape, whatever. Yeah, yeah. It was about four years out of date and going, what? He went, well, I have that. And I was like, <laughs> It's out of date, and you think, yeah, pudding, yeah, yeah. Pudding gets better with age. 
<laughs> so I remember going back there when it was I was just the whole place. Went back here when I was about twenty-one. Because um, <laughs> we, we, we're talking a couple of lads from the Air Movers. Yeah, um, yeah, I remember. This, I remember yeah. finding a tin that went out of date in nineteen eighty-four, and I remember like laughing with dad, going like, "Yeah, mate, this is it's older than me." That <laughs> no, it's not. When, I was born in like 1986. I'm pretty certain this tin says 1984. And he was like, nah, it won't. It won't say that. Mate, genuinely, it was a tin that went out of date yeah. in 1984. It was so, a mad one. If anything's going to set the, the centre up, it'll be tins of food well, from like 1980. Well, where it is as well, it's like, <laughs> I just, like, looking back now, the village was that, like, secluded. It had one pub and one post office. Yeah, yeah. And, like, a village green. Like, if, if you needed something from the shop and it was shut, you could knock on the person's house and they would come and open up for you. Yeah. It was a bit like, you know, the local village from the League of Gentlemen. Yeah. It's like, are you local? Like, now, now, Tubbs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not from round here. Yeah, probably. <laughs> we didn't burn him. <laughs> it was exactly like that. God. He's looking for a boy. <laughs> oh, definitely. So that, like, this place was just like that. So then when you were there, everyone knew, <laughs> everyone knew you were staying at the centre because you wasn't from the local village. It was just, yeah, and like, a mad place. So I'm going to class We've got to go back there. Yeah. Like, talking about it now, we have to go and visit again. So I, I appreciate <laughs> to the people listening that this, this story is just mental and it's what I wanted for the final episode of Series 2, basically. But, like, just to clarify of how crazy this place was and they were all for, you know, you're, you're not from around here. Whenever we went there as, like, young kids, people would know we, we were there because they referred to us as the twins. Now, granted, being a twin, you don't see a lot of identical twins together. No. You know, especially as adults, you don't. What makes it worse, though, is when your dad thinks it's funny, doesn't tell you at the age of about, you know, 10 or 11, what a Siamese twin is, and makes us go you walking around, <laughs> conjoined twin driver, <laughs> made us wear his coat. That's what I've done. Made us, made us wear, made us wear his coat. I, I remember being on like the right hand side of this jacket, and the left zipped it up, and then could proceed to like parade us around this local village, and everyone was pointing, and be like, "Oh, what a shame!" And we were like, "Why?" The, the why? Conjoined, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, well, that's what that's what he had us telling people we were. And I remember being like, "Why are they pointing at us?" And he went, oh, I don't know. It's funny. And it, we were just there for entertainment. It was like it sounds like abuse, but it was definitely character building. But this place, though, as well. <laughs> Definitely harboured some good memories. Like I remember being there, and uh, got like I've just remembered this now that even we've not even spoke about this for yeah. ages. I remember being there and going on a walk, and you know that was when he found this like tree branch that must have been must have been oak because it was they lasted forever. I don't know yeah. where you go with this, and it had like a Y joint in it. Yeah, and he was like picked up this massive. It was huge. It was like Gandalf's staff. <laughs> like, and he was like, "What does that look like?" And I was like, "Stick." And he was like, very clever. And he was like, it's a catapult. And I was like, what? And he went, I'll turn it into a catapult. And I remember, do you remember now? Yeah, like, I do remember now, yeah. Then I, had to, then I had to find another bit with the same sort of Y-shaped joint. And I remember as kids, we'd go to work with him, like, you know, with the, yeah. the outdoor youth service. And we'd have like, we'd, you know, we, we must have looked like feral kids, man. Yeah. <laughs> we always had like <laughs> jeans on, hiking boots, a fleece or something like that. Yeah, purple caramel fleece. Yes, yeah. carrying like old school catapults that had been made. Now, yeah. If anyone's ever made a catapult, the best way to do it was definitely that way. So a bit of wood, that was like, you know, the right sort of catapult sort of shape with old bungee cord elastic, which was like thick in a tube. And yeah. then like the leather patch off like a pair of proper Dennis the Many style catapults. Yeah. So on top of being in the local village for local people was these two conjoined twins who in each hand had a catapult. 
Oh yeah, oh you can yeah, operate that. Those cause chaos. Like but I remember when he gave us those catapults. I remember the only instructions he gave us were: do not shoot each other and do not shoot any windows. So we were like. We, we can shoot anything. And he was like, no, you can't. And we were like, well, you said, don't shoot each other. See you later. <laughs> yeah, don't and he went, oh, they'll be fine. Because I remember my mum going mad, being like, you can't give it them. Like, what if they hurt each other? Well, they'll this, be fine. This place was that yeah. secluded. He'd be like, if we were there and we were like, you know, not not caving or doing anything else, yeah. he'd be like, or even when we got back and they had to like make tea or whatever, they'd be like, go out, don't come back until the sun comes down. Yeah. Like, you know, like, when you hear like people say, when I was a child... Yeah, yeah, yeah. You come on with the streetlights, come on. Yeah, this was, well, there was no, hard when there's no streetlights. There's no streetlights, yeah. When it starts going dark, start making your way back. Like, yeah. God, I, 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 how mental must we look, though? It's like dressed as conjoined twins with catapults. God, what an upbringing. So, You've got to get Dave on the show I'll, to talk about this place. Yeah, because... I will do. I will. So, on top of obviously this crazy outdoor centre with like out of date food, mad accommodation, and all that. Catapults. Yeah, and, yeah, and catapults and conjoined twins. Um, if anyone has ever seen the film The Conjuring or The Conjuring yeah it was the first Conjuring because the second one's set in the UK innit yeah yeah so The Conjuring right there's a bit in that film I'm going to spoil it for you so if you don't want to you know if you want to watch that film desperately just stop listening now but well, don't because it's creepy <laughs> yeah so there's there's a bit in that film where um, there's uh, a, a kid in their bedroom and they're convinced that obviously there's, there's a ghost in their cupboard there's this big old Victorian style oak wardrobe where there's a constant like three knocking coming out of it. So there's a proper like, and this kid will be like, oh, what's going on sort of thing. This accommodation, this house where we used to stay, um, it looked like the house from The Conjuring, didn't it? Like a million percent mark. I had like creepy fuck, like proper old photographs on the stairs that were like random people. Yeah, yeah. Um, like really old school accommodation, like Victorian style wooden bookcases and like just random furniture as well like there's a rocking chair in one of the bedrooms like who has a rocking chair in their bedroom you know so like when you're going there as a child I mean it's like this is your bedroom you sleep at night with a creepy wardrobe from the conjuring and, and no like, window and no window <laughs> yeah. um it was mad to like going there was definitely an experience and like a bit of an adventure in itself for like the fact like, do you remember when we went there and as we opened the door there was a dead crow on the stairs I remember that yeah so we had a chicken a live chicken in one place and a dead bird in a the dead other. bird in the other yeah, yeah. Like, in, in the haunted house like, what's mad is because when you tell these stories to people it sounds like you had like a proper abused childhood but these were like proper adventures that were amazing like you know I remember these times because they were a good laugh, like, you know, in between, so going underground is like an amazing experience, like, if you're lucky enough to sort of be involved with like, you know, some sort of underground, like mining or caving club, or you're lucky enough to know people like ourselves and you can you can come with us. Um, it's an amazing experience to go through something that has been untouched by time. That's topped off by even more to be able to stay in accommodation that has also been <laughs> not, untouched, not, by, untouched time. by time, you know, and it, it what a place, you know, what a place, but... Go, there's nothing I've there. I just looked up now. We'll, we'll be doing it on online. Yeah. The building's still there, but it's it says it's an Airbnb. And it isn't on Airbnb, but it says that it is. Oh, is it? So that it's unchanged other than the fact that outside of the where the kitchen and the the you know the rec room would be. So I know I know where you know where I mean. You know, yeah. You have your briefings and stuff. That's got like wooden cladding added to the outside to like I don't know make it look like it's been touched by time at some point. <laughs> but I think you can rent it. We're going. We're going. We're getting the old gang together. I'm gonna if we get there and it hasn't got shower curtains for doors with like wildlife living inside and kicking off. (laughs) I remember getting better be a feet panda. I remember getting ready to go to go underground. So whenever you go underground, like even if it was to go now, um I kinda wear like 
kit that I'm not bothered about because it's going to get wrecked in an old mine. It's yeah, going to get yeah. wet, dirty, possibly ripped. You know, it's just going to get ruined. I wouldn't take, you know, my top end like Arcteryx, like a fruit out kit or something like that underground because it's just no. going to get ruined. But no. I would, you know, quite happily just, you know, go in a little pair of scruffs or whatever. I remember getting ready once and had a, a disaster before we'd even gone underground because obviously going underground is like quite a dangerous place to be. I remember getting ready and stepping backwards to like put a pair of jeans on and I stepped my heel onto a rat trap that had like spikes on it like so it's like a miniature bear trap and proper like a proper injury like scalped like the back of my foot off dad went just put a plaster on it and I was like duct tape have you seen the state of my foot like it looks like an animal has like savaged me and he went yeah it'd be fine so I remember putting like a plaster that did nothing you know plaster in my eyes plaster's a futile things like they're just there for morale. They're not, they don't. They don't serve any purpose for a wound. That's my opinion on it. You know, right. <laughs> I know you use medical measure, but like, come on, like they come off when they get wet. They, they're well, a they bit wouldn't pointless. put anything on the ground. Yeah, exactly. Pointless. So it's not yeah, worth yeah. putting on. So I remember putting a plaster on this, being like, "You'll be fine." And then a pair of wellies that were too big to go in dirty, wet water underground. Well. That 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 and then I come out of snow into rain and then back down to dry. It was awesome. You know, a decent 12K door-to-door. It's not too bad. Um, and I was quite comfortable in that experience. And I think it's because I was subjected to these experiences as a child of, you're going to go underground now. What what should I wear? Oh, just wear your jeans. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. I would never wear jeans in the outdoors. And I think it's because I've learned from the experience of being a young kid being dragged underground in a pair of jeans. And like, when I said, oh, could I have some gloves? I had woolen gloves, like magic gloves that you give your kid that are like yeah, tiny, yeah. that are stretch. Magic, they were my magic mittens. They, yeah, they were my gloves underground. <laughs> like they serve no purpose whatsoever. Well, but I think some of this is a bit of like I don't know kidology. It's like I'll 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 let them do what they want. They'll they'll you know in their head they'll be comfortable, but they're still gonna do it. It's like, I specifically remember having the you can go in smiling or crying either way you go in. Yeah, that was like no a, that was out, a, that was a common thing said to us. I know Funny said this as well. Like yeah, it's character building. It's yeah, character building. it's character building. Or well, well it is though, you can either you can though. either come with me and be really unhappy and kick off and hate me throughout the experience, or you can come and enjoy it. But either way, you are still doing this activity. So like, because I remember the first time underground, I didn't enjoy it at all because I was a kid and. Scared. It was, yeah, it was scary, cold, wet, horrible, you know, like, anyone that's who's a parent now, yeah. you know, you take your seven-year-old kid underground and force them to crawl through, like, wet, horrible spaces in the dark, they're not going to like it, you know. You, your mind runs away with you a million and ten when you're a kid. Your mind you know? runs away with you underground as an adult. So, Especially when you're in a place, like, you know it's not 100%. It's like, it's like we were saying, I say not safe. It's all incredibly measured risk based on experience, qualifications, and stuff like that. Yeah. As a kid... You're still gaining that experience. Well, to you, then, yeah, you don't have any. To then build well, last your own. last time I went underground, um, I was with Dave Jordan, uh, another lad, and I'm not too sure who was, but there was a couple of us, um, and there was one guy was you, you decided that it wasn't for him. Yeah. Now, luckily enough, he was at a point where we could go right. We're going to take you back out. Yeah. Um, don't worry about it. No judgment at all. If it's not for you, it's not for you. You know, because people do freak out underground. You know, you don't have any concept of how high up you are when you're, you know, 
on top of the shafts because you can't always see the bottom. So yeah. Some heights. Just yeah. So so height is is completely different. Any confined space feels, you know, magnif- magnified because you're in the dark. It's yeah. dusty and wet and cold. You know. So if someone doesn't have a good time and they're, they're seriously like, this is not for me. Mm. Sometimes it's like, well, it's kind of tough now because you're halfway through the route and the only way to get out yeah. is to go through. And flapping isn't the well. Now's yeah. not the time to be flapping when you've got a so mountain. We, over we your took head. this guy out. Um, and I remember I was I, I was like, well, I'll, I will wait here. There's no point of us all going back. Yeah. So I'll come back here. So I'll wait here. Um, so I waited with Jordan. Mm. And I was like, let's just turn lights off. Now there's no one here. And just see how, how, how much of a horrible place it would be to be stuck and left, mate. In the dark, right? If you, yes, yeah, so if you just sit down in the dark, underground, and turn your lights off and just sit there, mate, you get to the point where it's that dark and quiet... You can like you can hear your own heartbeat. Oh yeah! It oh yeah, yeah! Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So for sensory deprivation, it is absolutely horrific. Well, if you think you're, unlike being in a room, arguably, let's say you went in a room that was so bright you, you couldn't see anything. Yeah. That's still something's been added on it. Mm. So being in total darkness is the absence of what your body's used to. Yeah. So because there's something missing. It's one of them things where your head will run away with itself, and it because your eyes can't take. There's nothing for them to absorb, is there? There's, yeah. no, there's no ambient light or anything on the ground. What What I found was mad as well. Like, so I did. I I sat down at one point and did it, and then I stood up as well, and I turned everything off and just stood there. And because there's nothing there, mm. you and you almost feel like when you turn your light back on, you've moved. So you know because you, you have to yeah. then regain your y- y- yeah, like yeah. you know. Your brain has to figure out yeah. what's going on. Yeah. So, like, I couldn't imagine when people get injured in the ground and yeah. they get left and they have to wait for rescue. Yeah. Like, the well, mental battle that you would have like, when yourself when I, is, um, is... Back in formal work, when I did my um, searching rescue in confined spaces um, ticket, you, they test for claustrophobia very early on in the course because, obviously, if you're claustrophobic, yeah. you can't be then expected to go and rescue people in, yeah. in a confined space it's just not not the given you know you can't and you'd have there was people who were like I'm not claustrophobic I'll be fine and they do this claustrophobia test and you're basically going through a crawl space it's man made it's a crawl space with full breathing apparatus on so the BA kit is the same stuff that the fire brigade use yeah. made by Drago it weighs a ton you, know, you have two cylinders on your back it's a bit like carrying a diving kit but it has the weight there because you're not underwater Yeah. so you have two two cylinders on the back full Drago rig and then the uh, duct tape up the front part, the visor on it, so you can't see anything. Mm. Um, so when you put it on, because it's full seal, positive pressure kit, um, there's no ambient light getting into the mask. And then you're trying to crawl through this like space with without your eyesight. Um, and you can watch other people as they go through, but you only watch them after you've done it, otherwise you'd know like the tricks, basically. Yeah. And there's things like trap doors, you have to negotiate in total, you're blind, basically. Um, and I, because we'd done these stuff as kids, I just very quickly went, well, I'll close my eyes. I'll have all this stuff on, I'll do it, but I'll close my eyes. And then, I don't know what it is, I think just psychologically, I was like, if I close my eyes, it's just like having them shut. Obviously. Um, obviously. No, but you know what I mean? Like, if you close, <laughs> no, if you no, close no, your yeah. eyes when you're doing something, it's different from having your vision removed through Yeah, through yeah, that, totally. You lose your, like, orientation otherwise. But I remember, I do remember seeing lads in there who I'd looked up to as well. They'd done the core, you know, they'd done 
not that course, but they've done similar courses beforehand and mm. uh, they've been doing the job a lot longer and I was like, these are experienced, you know, going in and full on losing it. Like, yeah. I just can't, like, rapid breathing, full, like, panic attacks and stuff. So, obviously, they were just a write-off straight away, like, you're not continuing, we're not going gonna to put you in a real confined space mm. with gases and, you know, stuff like that if you can't even cope doing it. Let alone then let you go in and rescue someone from a confined space and you might be injured or whatever. Um, but I do remember, like, when I was on that course, definitely leaning on these experiences from a kid. Well, it's like, I remember being one in the second centre we were talking about, like, the 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 creepy house from the conjuring that had like no windows on the it was it was like the house from the conjuring i'm yeah. convinced that's where I, it was i filmed. remember us being real little being there <laughs> on, a, on one of the trips we've been underground all day yeah and there was a guy who mobile phones were like a new thing then um and i remember there being a guy who fell over in one of the the mines there oh yeah i remember not the one that we'd been in mm. i don't think and he broke both his elbows um and i remember someone ringing uh you know, our dad and, and Dave, our mate, basically because they knew they knew that they were in the area and they knew they knew... They, they knew that we were staying in the area, but they also knew that they knew their way around this this mine he was in. And they had to go off and do this rescue. And I remember as a kid being like, wow. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, they're going to go and they're gonna rescue someone. And I remember being gone for hours. Like, absolutely. Probably, well, it probably was a long time, but I know if time feels like even longer when you're a kid doesn't it see that this is one thing that like proper annoys me like because you, you you know you see it on like youtube um and you see it on instagram as well quite a lot where the people who go in like mines because you can a lot of mines are open you can just walk in yeah um and you know they've got no experience and no idea of some of the risks that you know there's, there's a couple of mines in the lake district that i've seen people go in um, i've seen people take groups in them as well and you're like you do realize that it's a false floor so like you think yeah. you stood on the floor, but it's fake underneath. You know, um, you know, just because you're stood on a piece of wood in in a mine doesn't mean that it's okay. That could be, you know, rotten yeah. through. So um, gases too when you were in mines. Yeah. So and like looking at it from somebody who's like you know very experienced going underground and like, yeah, I think you have to be very experienced with rope work and confident in your ability to work in a not nice environment under pressure un- un- yeah. and be able to. Self-rescue. Yeah. You know, that's, that's key. And what I was thinking is, like, if you were to be injured in any of these places, which is why when we go, we're all very like, yep, you know what you're doing, cool. Like, yeah. I will always check, you know, like your your kit, you know that, you know, mine's all right and vice versa, you know, because the consequences of an accident in the... out. So if you have an accident in the mountains, realistically, you know, unless might and rescue happen to be flying over the top of you at that present moment in time, or, you know, you're two minutes away from the road rescue time you're looking at probably about mm, i'd say what do you reckon about an hour two hour time rescue um I think realist- there i think realistically yeah if, and if there's no if if there was an air asset then quite yeah well. but underground mate just like you've got to find you first yeah well first off you'd have to send someone out so you'd have to either go do, if it was a through they've got to continue going the way they're doing that's negating abseils, climbs, ladders, setting it all up, taking it all yeah. down, all that sort of stuff. Or going back the way you come, which may be the easier option, but again, might involve like SRT, ladders, yeah. setting it all up, taking it all down. Then go from wherever you are, because the ones there were remote places, to then go and physically either get out to, like nowadays, it'd be to a phone signal, mm. or to physically go and get help, then wait for them to then get all their stuff, meet you at the entrance... And then you would, 
you know, you'd have to walk them in. You couldn't go, I'm going to go back in. You know, I'm, I'm going to go and wait with the casualty or whatever. So, you, hours. Absolutely. Yeah. And hours. I just think, like, what, yeah. what a thing, like, you know, very experienced in the outdoors, you know, experienced with groups, you know, search and rescue, you know, quite, quite happy with it, you know, having to make choices that, you know, difficult choices to make for people. But can you imagine like being underground with somebody, you know, if you, you and your mate just sort of went in and didn't know what you're doing. And you, so if me and you went in and didn't know what you're doing, then you were to get hurt. And me having to leave you. On my own. On your own in the dark. Yeah, you know. I just automatically think of, you know, the really like rubbish outdoor films to do with like monsters underground. Oh, The Descent. Yeah. Yeah, just, yeah. Yeah, you had to just go like Yeah, well, not that. I think for, you know, for someone to be injured anywhere, it's, you know, it's not, it's not a pleasant experience being injured because there's normally an element of pain involved. Yeah. Um, so yeah, you know, you're being left without pain management underground with and real no risk of exposure. Yeah, then no light and all that. You're definitely getting a mental health injury. Oh, it'll stay with you forever, won't it? Yeah, you, know? you would never forget it. Yeah, well, that well, would be character building. That, um, like Max, like. <laughs> there was a, I can't remember. I don't know the full ins and outs of it, so I'll just touch on it briefly. But there was like a cave rescue. I think the lad died um, not that long ago from, and it's not that far from here in the peaks, mm. and that that exhausted like two or three different cave rescue mm. teams. For hours and hours and hours, and basically, he had a survivable injury at the time, like he broken his yeah. femur. Yeah. Um, but because it just it just took too long, mm. and I think he died of either I think he died of exposure or blood loss. But well, I was like, at, I was at a medical conference last year, mm. um, for remote wilderness medicine, and uh, there was a guy there who works for um, like, let's say he works for he was a volunteer for uh, cave rescue, um. And uh, he was like one of the divers who went to Thailand to do the Thai cave rescue. You know, and the kids went underground and got stuck there when it flooded a couple of years ago. Yeah. And um, that was mad for him. Like they, you know, saying about like time, time wise. Obviously, that was a massively time critical thing. They, they, they were flooding the caves they were in, and it. He said he was in work. Got he just got home from work. Yeah. Uh, he worked in IT, and he got a phone call from a, a British guy who was in Thailand who knew to ring. The UK uh, cave rescue and dive UK cave, UK diving cave rescue cave dive. Come on, Mark. I'm just trying to think of the name <laughs> of the, the people now. They've got an organisation, but anyway, they're um, the cave divers. Who, but he is also cave rescue. So yeah. arguably, cave dive rescue. If you know right. I mean. Okay. Yeah, yeah. God, we got there in the end. That's <laughs> been a long day. You can tell you dyslexic here. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> so, um, but he was saying then he got this phone call. Basically said. Uh, Look, the government are going to pay for you to fly to Thailand. Yeah. You and this other guy um, to come over here to rescue these kids. And he said he was like, yeah, what? <laughs> he said, basically, yeah. they said, you've got a flight now. You can bring, there's no weight limit. You can take all your kit. So he said he just had to pack everything, get to Heathrow, fly from Heathrow to Thailand and landed and just was met with like this chaos that had unfolded like yeah. for like a week. You know, they yeah, because had... what, what a rescue that was. Yeah, well... T- Thailand tried to do it in house sort of thing, and then the Americans were there. And the American, they all, everyone was coming up with ideas. Loads of their ideas had fit. His, his talk was amazing. Yeah. You'd have loved it. Like, um, and he <clears throat> he spoke about the logistics of organising that rescue, and it, they basically in the end there was a guy there. I think he was a vet and a cave diver, mm. a doctor. He was a cave diver, and him he was he like that was his main hobby, cave diving. Yeah, and between them they, they come up with this idea where they were going to dive in. Oh, it's worth noting as well, one of the Thai Navy SEALs died trying to rescue these oh, kids. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So we'll dive in first and get to him. So they 
dived in, got to him, come around, everyone's alive. They took him like food, medicine, stuff like that. Um, and then went back, we're going to come back for you. <laughs> went back out, formulated a plan and went, what we'll do is we'll have to sedate him with ketamine. So we'll have to make them unconscious, fit them with a... Because f- we tri- they were like, we can teach them how to dive. And they were like, are you mad? We can't teach people how to dive under pressure, let alone kids. Yeah. And then expect them to be safe diving out of this flooded cave with us. It's not happening. Mm. So they come up with this idea that they were basically just going to sedate him, put a dive mask on him, fasten them to them, cave dive out with this you know, sedated kid fastened to him. They would surface in the mine, give him a bit more sedation, a bit more ketamine, and then cave dive him out. And basically the kids would you know, be met by a diver underground, explained, you're going to go to sleep now, and then you'll wake up in hospital. And I think on day one, they got like, I think they got like, what, a kid out at first, or a few kids out. And he said, everyone was like, well, it's a success, they've done it. And he said, from like a volunteer rescue point of view, it was awful. Because he said, all they did was, all they thought now was, well, if anyone dies, we're going to be viewed as, we, we know we know we can do it. It's been a success. We've saved, you know, however many yeah. did on day one. He said, the pressure was like unreal. But he said, they were even asked to give like a figure of, you know, what a success rate is. And he was like, well, what do you mean by a success rate? So they said the Americans who were there were like, well, if you can get one of them out, it will be seen as a success. Yeah. And they said like, well, if you can get one person out, we've proved that we can get them all out. Yeah. And it did, it makes amazing. Imagine being that poor kid who had to go first. Like, well, and, well, well they, they, they even, didn't know, did even, they didn't even get like, out. You know, even, the, even, so like, well, now as an adult, imagine if you said to you, like, we're, we're underground, we cave in, whatever. Yeah this same scenario and they come a diver you've never met a stranger from another country as well because obviously the the British come up and was like right I'm going to give you this needle it'll knock you out you won't remember anything and I'm going to dive you out you'd be like nah I'd be <laughs> like just, just don't tell me yeah. um, or oh, oh, like, just give me all of it but like in that <laughs> yeah. then this is what I mean like, so like anyone who does any sort of like you know because for me obviously you know we, we do bits of search and rescue you know we've helped with mountain rescue and things like that and like you just see it as doing like you know it's a hobby. It's, yeah. a, it's well, a hobby, you know, but, yeah. you know, and hopefully, you know, you're doing a great thing. But for me, I view people like, I, I definitely look at cave rescue differently because I spend a lot of time on the ground and it's mad. It's a lot yeah. of kit you got to carry. And like the RNLI, I look at the RNLI as like, it's an absolutely incredible hobby, mm. but also like, you know, a, um, there's real risk involved for like the people involved doing the, rescue. doing the rescue. So like these yeah, guys, yeah. who obviously went over to do that. Like, oh, they knew the, yeah. how exhausting would that be though? I think they as like, well. Do you know what I mean? We'll have to try and get them to the team, like to do their talk. It was amazing. Like you, yeah. you would have loved it like that. To be fair, that aspect of that the the world of working, you would love that that mm. sort of thing. But I, I was just a massive Aurich guy, and I was thinking, well, you, you, you're the same as us. There was, there was me, and there was a couple of other people from. Yeah, I was there with as part of my job, basically to you know, yeah. learning. But there was people there from the military um, who specialise in like remote medicine and. Uh, expedition doctors and all that sort of stuff there and there was other um, people who paid to be there as part of like you know Martin Rescue Development and stuff like that and they said the same thing to this guy they were like I can't believe you did that that's amazing and he was mm. like well I'm the same as you so I don't get paid either yeah you know but it, it was literally he said it was just like never envisioned getting a phone call because he watched it on the news and was like wow that's terrible but then got a phone call and was like we need you here you, <laughs> you have been mentioned by name to come over and fix this issue for us. <laughs> so, like, the pressure, like, it must have been unreal. Like, yeah, but, pretty but, horrific. Yeah, it's just mad. But, like, say, like, all these things, you know, 
you know, all experience, isn't it? Yeah, 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 definitely, yeah, yeah. Well, we went off on that a bit of a tangent, but anyway, you know, I, I thought we're coming to the end of the time that I've got. Um, what I would say is thanks for joining uh, us today, uh, Mark. It's been like a mega laugh, and hopefully, you know, um, people had a bit more of an insight into the crazy upbringing we had, being forced to be dressed as conjoined twins and cut around a local village and then go underground and with catapults yeah and then sleep in the conjuring house <laughs> yeah yeah, um, yeah but yeah as always guys thanks for tuning in i hope you've had like a good laugh because um, i definitely have it it's been one that i remember and uh, we will get some more uh, out for you again soon so everyone thank you very much stay safe and goodbye <laughs>